Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bercher, and this is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, and this is episode 90, Improvisation, Yin Yang, and The Grateful Dead. Now, this is a little bit of a deviation from the R versus Should problem, and I'm going to, you know, I'm sort of approaching 100 episodes, and I'm going to, you know, be a little bit more open-minded and open-ended with the episodes for this last 11 starting with episode 90. And this is a topic based on a story, I guess, and just a general principle about how I live my life or a model that I think is a a reasonable path to follow that falls outside the mainstream and probably isn't a very popular thing. Uh, and, and that I'm intrigued to know that people don't really understand. Like to me, this is just so obvious. And it's something that I used to teach my students. And I would use the the Grateful Dead story as a way of describing the way that I teach and the way that I play music and in general, kind of the way I navigate life. And I'm starting to understand that this kind of improvisational attitude probably increases your chances of successful personal growth and change. And so bear with me, this is kind of linked to the R versus should problem in that this is an attitude that I think, or a mindset, or a mindful way of going about your day, okay? And, and I'll start with the music analogy. Well, I'll start with the yin-yang, right? Yin-yang, good and evil, male and female, um, light and dark. I mean, this is a, uh, a, an ancient concept that says, you know, without one, there is not the other. And really, I mean, the best example I can think of is like, there is no Luke Skywalker without Darth Vader, right? There's no hero in a story without a villain. There's no happy without sad. And the idea that we might want to live a life that's 100% happy is absurd because we would forget that we were happy because we're not have a reminder of being unhappy. And hopefully that makes sense. You know, with we don't understand what light is if there is no period of darkness. You know, it's funny. I, my wife and I just rewatched the television series Lost from the early 2000s, and I was surprised how much it held up. I mean, six seasons. And the big part of that island was that there was a, a light and a dark element of protection of the island, and they were constantly struggling, and one wanted to preserve it, and one wanted to destroy it, right? Light and dark, and it, and good and evil, and it was kind of like the Cain and Abel story, and so many things wrapped up um, in that. Uh, and I honestly believe, you know, a theme in my life lately has been this idea that we don't want to be happy all the time. We don't want to be perfect. There is no such thing. And so it would just be much easier if we just forgot about that and embrace the idea that we're going to have good days, we're going to have bad days, then yin and yang. Okay. Now, the improvisational thing, so when I was learning music, early on I sort of realized that there were two paths to learning music. One, you could take lessons and go through sort of a rudimentary approach where there's a very prescribed technique and this is going to you know, nearly guaranteed if you put in, if you have a little talent and you put in the effort, you can learn to be a proficient musician following a series of steps that are truthfully boring as hell. Um, practicing scales and standards, and it's not jamming out, right? It's not fun. And so that's why so many kids don't want to take piano lessons and they bucket and they don't. And they, then as adults, they're like, I wish I would have done that, right? Well, the other path that I saw was that I could just pick it up and listen to music and be inspired and figure it out on my own, right? And what I've learned is that both pathways are legit. As a mature musician now, I've spent most of my life, probably 30 years as a musician, I know all kinds of musicians, and I know people on both ends of the spectrum, 
and a ton of people in the middle that have some proficiency in technique and a whole lot of soul or all soul and no technique or all technique and no soul. And, you know, they're, they're all different types of musicians and it's all great because music is a part of their lives. I have very little skill and technique. I have developed it later in my career, but I just took the approach of, I'm just going to jam out and this is going to feel good and I'm going to do it. That has limited the level at which I can reach. You know, I am a intermediate musician, maybe too advanced, and that's as high as I'm ever going to go. Well, without some serious rudimentary practice and chops on the order of like hours a day. Uh, for some period of time, I'm not going to get any better. In fact, at this point in my life, I'm just trying to maintain. Now, somebody that that I, I know a lot of people who put in a lot of hard chops early in their life and learned the technique and then have been able to progress to much higher levels than me because the combination of the two things is great. Now, I also know people who have 100% technique and just never really figured out how to feel music, and they're not really all that good. So, Suffice to say, I mean, it takes all types, but I embrace the improv, what I'll call the improvisational approach, the freeform approach, the jamming out approach of learning as you feel good about it. You know, do it if it feels good and do what you want to do and sort of make up new stuff as you go. And that's the sort of way and path that I've taken. Some of it works and some of it doesn't. And that's the key to the improvisational part. You have to be willing to... Think about a stand-up comic where they're improving. Some of the stuff that comes out of their mouth is going to be brilliant. Some of it's probably not going to be funny and it's going to fall flat. Some of it's just not going to hit the audience right. Some of it may be the best stuff ever, but the combination of things. This leads me to the idea of the Grateful Dead. Now, say what you will about the Grateful Dead. Chances are you're somebody that doesn't care for the dead and just thinks of them as a bunch of acid druggy freaks. Okay. That's fair, but it's so not the truth. And it so blows my mind to find that either, you know, who the dead are, or you have no idea. And you have this false idea that they're just a bunch of druggies. Now, maybe that's true, but let's cut through all that and look at what was really going on. Okay. Say what you will. But a bunch of drugged out hippies don't have that kind of following and that kind of longevity. I mean, Jerry Garcia died, for God's sakes, and the band's still playing with John Mayer in it now, Dead and Company, and all these spinoffs. And they're still a hugely, massively popular entity uh, that, you know, I think has value. Now, say what you will. I'm not going to judge the quality of their music. That's not what this is about, nor am I going to really hit on the idea of their drug use, because I, that that's definitely related, but it's not the key. And this is what people don't get about the dead, and I just want to share uh, with you uh, if you're one of the people that doesn't know. Their approach the whole time was, we're going to do this. We're going to get together and take a bunch of drugs and play a bunch of music, and I think it's going to be cool. And we really like you guys to participate because the energy of the listener is an important element in music. To them, it wasn't about playing. The sound just goes out and away, right? If you just play and there's nobody to hear it or receive it. And it's not the same thing. Their whole idea was let's have a massive party. And we'll, you know, just because we like music, we're going to be the guys playing. Now, maybe they'll go see another band play and they have the same experience somewhere else. It didn't matter. This was, 
you know, the mid to late 60s in, in the Bay Area, San Francisco, it was a thing, right? Let's just get together and be happy. Somebody will be at the center playing music, but really it's this big party where everybody's a part of it and the energy is flowing between the listener. And, and, and I think that's still the appeal of going to a concert, right? To a certain extent, it's become this thing where you have this celebrity on stage and they're spouting something at an audience and it's unidirectional and it's not, but any, ask any performer, you know, they play better. They feel better. The experience is better with a good audience. And that's what the dead was after. Now the dead also didn't rehearse, right? I mean, they, whenever they played, there were people around, they were playing. It was always playing. You know, in fact, they're they're notorious for having really shitty studio albums because they had were forced into a different model. They went in and they played parts and they weren't together and it was like in the little booths and it just didn't work. Now, some other studio albums are fine, say what you will, but the live experience was a thousand million percent different thing because that's what they did. Now, they also, you know, I don't know the degree to which they were capitalists because they obviously wanted to make money. They sold albums. They, they're all rich, but they're also cool about their ticket sales and they didn't let the, you know, the surcharges and all these other things. They, you know, they, for a long time, you ordered the tickets directly and they were fair and they were egalitarian about the whole thing. Okay. The point is they would show up to play with whatever level of preparation, whatever mood, whatever vibe, whatever state of mind they were in, and they would do it. And they, and they signed up for that. And they said, look, we're going to get together, and we're going to play music, and we want you to be a part of it, and we're going to do this a lot. And we're going to tour around, and it's a thing. And, but what we need you to do, and this is them communicating with their fans, their audience, the, the listening part of the equation, we need you to just trust us, right? Uh, and, and, and to be open-minded about what's going to happen. Because we're not going to guarantee you that we're going to play all of our hits. And they're not going to sound just like we played them on the radio. You know, this is a different formula. We're going to get together and try to make something, hope that something happens that's magical. And you're going to take something home that's going to change your life forever. That's the goal. Now, it may not happen because we can't really control that. There's too many factors at play. Everybody involved, soul and spirit, is going to influence this thing and what's going on outside and uh, you know weather. All these things are going to come into play, and it's just going to be spontaneous and improvised and sudden and uncontrolled, and that's what we're going to do. Sometimes it's going to be awesome. Other times it's probably going to suck. And if you go back in the record, of which there is an awesome record because people taped and recorded all their shows, there are shows that suck. And this might be the reason that some people don't like the dead. I mean, you have to at least give them a chance. You have to listen to a handful of shows and get some familiarity to really understand what they're doing because it's so different from anything else anybody else does, this magic thing. But with as many bad moments as there are, and just whole shows that a, a regular music connoisseur would be like, that sucked, I just wasted 40 bucks and three hours of my life. And killed a whole bunch of brain cells in the process. There are other times that are just undescribable communal magic, both from a musicality perspective, from an improvisational, from a spontaneity perspective, from just a feeling and vibe thing. And so the beautiful thing about the Grateful Dead is everybody involved made these agreements. This was a thing that an unspoken agreement that we're we're cool with it. We're okay if you don't do well. We're okay if things go well. It doesn't matter. 
Of course, we all hope for the magic, but we understand that that might not happen. And I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to give you a bad review. I'm not going to boycott or I'm not going to cancel you because you don't deliver trucking uh, just the same way that it was recorded on the album uh, when I see you in concert. I am willing to participate in this big, you know, what um, what uh, Timothy Leary called, or um, yeah, the acid tests, right? This big experiment. That's how it all started. It was a test to see if they could pull it off. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And I took this approach to teaching college. You know, I would, I, you know, I did not learn, well, I, I wanted to experiment with the idea that enthusiasm was more important than delivery, uh, which I think is kind of the same thing. You know, I took a Grateful Dead-esque approach to teaching, where I was prepared with an outline and the material that I needed to cover and the mastery of the material that I had commensurate with my PhD. I did not prepare boring, you know, like some of my professors with the the write-on whiteboard that you rolled uh, the, and the overhead projector would spit it up and it was the same reel they used year after year or the same PowerPoint thing with the bullets. And it's, that's just regurgitating the book. I tried to bring an element of enthusiasm into the classroom and spontaneity that would trigger an interest in the students. Sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And it worked well on some kids and not on others. The type A kids that were going to do good on the test and memorize the book anyway didn't like it. They wanted to be given to bullet points. They wanted me to go through the table of contents in the book and regurgitate what they'd already read. They wanted that because that's what they were used to in all their other classes. The kids in the back of the room and the kids in the middle of the room, the C students, the D students, and you know all the rest, they liked it. They'd pick up on it. They were forgiving. They were willing to go with me on this experiment. Some of them beat me up you know, when I failed because sometimes I was unable to harness the magic and I just couldn't make you know, pollination interesting that week or that day or whatever. And then another semester, I'd have the same subject matter and I'd kill it. I just, there was no predicting it. And it was in a big way dependent on the student's enthusiasm, which is really hard to do with 18, 19, 20-year-old young people in a class college classroom. It's not the place for them to open up and blossom and communicate because that's what they've been taught. So it was hard to break that mold but there were moments when I was able to do it. And there were students that still remember me to this day uh, because of the things that we did in the classroom. And I just, I have faith in that methodology, selfishly because it works for me, because I like the idea, and I'm willing to risk it all for one moment of magic, just like the Grateful Dead. And I, I'm, I'm you know, ashamed of almost putting myself in that same category. And I'm not trying to, because I think what they achieved is brilliant. And we need more of it, truthfully, in our life today, because in as much as we need the details and the script and the absolutes in the world, we also need the freedom and the play, right? I just, I read a book and I'll put the name of the book in the show notes in the blog post. I can't remember the name of it, but the idea was that we don't know how to have fun anymore. We don't know how to play anymore and laugh like we did when we were kids. And that, that those activities connect ourselves with, connect us with a part of ourselves that is critical to things like happiness and satisfaction and calm and peace in our lives. And the, the less of that we have, the more problems we have as a, as a culture, as a society, as a, as, a, as a planet. And there's something about, well, there's a couple things at play, right? That play, openness, vulnerability, innocence, and just openness to the world that the very, 
One, we don't do that very much. There are not many opportunities for that in our lives anymore where we are just open to the world to communicate with it and feel its messages and to feel that magic that somebody else might just hear as a whole bunch of noise. But if you're open and connected with your mind and your heart and your soul and your body and your feelings and all your senses and everything that you bring to the table, which is an effort, it doesn't just happen. You know, this is a concerted thing. Even though people were doing a lot of drugs at Grateful Dead shows, part of that was to bring them into this space of openness. I mean, for a lot of them, some of them it was just a party. Uh, but a big part of this was, you know, opening the doors of perception and allowing in this input from the universe that isn't hearing and sight and touch and, and these things. You know, it's more than that. It's another part of our humanness. And, and, and as you open yourself to that sort of magic, I don't have another word for it, and release some of the, 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 the analytical mind sort of telling you this is dumb or silly or childish, um, it is only going to benefit your life. And it's only going to benefit humankind. And I think this is related to our over-sciencing everything, our overcomplicating everything, the existence of the propensity of anxiety and depression in our cultures, the, the, the tendency toward war and violence. I mean, all of these things are related to a reduction in our faith and belief in each other and in magic and um, whatever you want to call this. I don't think if we had, we surely had words for these things, but I'm not sure we have words for these things in English. If they are, I don't know what they are. And uh, I wanted to get that out. Because I think it's, it is a method to get yourself into the space of growth, you know, or of, here it is, the idea of domestication that Don Miguel Ruiz and the Toltecs talk about, that we've been spoon-fed this American dream without being able to really weigh in about, on it. We just have this, these beliefs that we were given and never questioned and we carry around with us, well, it's time to question those things. And in order to change those things, having a mindset of openness to the possibility of alternate explanations and alternate ways of sensing and feeling and navigating and communicating in the world is going to go a long way for things to work for you. I mean, think about you know things like the idea, again, with Lost, the show. The, the concept of a coincidence. Is it a coincidence or is it the universe trying to communicate with you? Now, I'm not going to get up here and tell you that every little thing that happens in the world is the universe trying to communicate with you, but I am a big fan of saying sometimes that shit happens. There are times when if you are aware, willing to listen, willing to look, open to the idea, magic things happen on a daily basis. I would even go so far as to say that miracles happen. But you're never going to see any of it if you carry around this attitude of the American dream that everything is analytic, everything has to fall into a certain order and can only be perceived in a pragmatic way with our senses uh, in a very physics-based sort of reality. If you can't open yourself to just a little bit of possibility that there are other things that happen in the universe that you haven't been taught about, we don't really understand, but they can have a lot of meaning then you're selling your whole life short, right? You know, some of the most 
incredibly moving things I've felt in my life have come about this way. And the simplest one that a lot of us can relate to is through music and not necessarily with the Grateful Dead. This happens in a lot of music, um, especially more improvisational music like jazz or freeform stuff where, you know, the musicians have a little bit of freedom to communicate with you and to feel and to let their emotions come through in the music. Now, if you get a band like NSYNC, love them, but they're playing the same show every night with the same moves and the same rhythm, and the band's playing exactly the same thing. And it's really just, you know, there's not as much room for in that for this stuff to happen, but it still does. There is There are moments when the energy is just impalpable. It's coming from the musicians, between the musicians, into the audience, from the audience back to the musicians, and it's this big spiral of energetics all supported by these beautiful tones that we do experience but on top of that, there's something else. Like, listen to a song like Piano Man for the 9,000th time on the radio while you're driving on some trip and you're not in a great mood, and it's just going to come on and it's going to go away, and you la-da-la, la-da-da, you know, it's over. Listen to the words of that song when you're in a relaxed mood with an open mind, and the story comes through, and the simplicity of his piano playing and his voice And you can have a spiritual experience. And truthfully, I think that kind of musical experience is available to everyone. And it can be a gateway to understanding your somatic body and how that has a feeling. And if you can find your way into having a magical musical experience, and you probably have already in your life when you're brought to tears by some pretty song or jazzed up by a Guns Guns N' Roses tune or something... That's what I'm talking about. That's magic. What happened? What What is that all about? Well, I don't know, but it's real. <laughs> and I don't know if you can recreate this. I'm, I, I listened to The Grateful Dead for about a year. It was um, on my journey from heavy metal, Metallica and Iron Maiden, to bluegrass and acoustic jazz music. I spent some time in the Jerry Garcia Bob Weir, Grateful Dead zone, and I really came to love and know their music, and I got to see them in concert once, and I, you know, listened to a lot of their live shows, and I got it, obviously, enough to share that experience with you, but I had a lot going on already with my relationship with music, and I just think it could be a powerful thing, and again, I think it exists in a lot of music, Um, uh, and hopefully it makes sense to you, and uh, I invite you to sort of add that sort of thing to your practice. And even watching movies or reading books or reading poetry or looking at art, you can have these sort of experiences. What made The Grateful Dead different is the fact that it happened on such a massive scale, right? It's not just one person standing in a gallery looking at a painting. There's tens of thousands of people and a lot of volume (laughs) and and psychedelic drugs uh, uh, happening at the same time. But we can have these moments. We can have these experiences if you're open to it and you already know how to do it. And so I think in your personal growth journey, especially in the context of the R versus should and things like self-compassion, it's important to find the value in being able to make these kind of observations and connections with the world. In the very least, it's evidence to you that there's something more than the domestication American dream that you've been fed all your life, and that there's possibility for something else. So I hope you have enjoyed that little trip uh, down (laughs) 
uh, memory lane for me and uh, me sharing that story. uh, And I hope that it makes sense and resonates with you because there's a lot of power in that sort of somatic experience. And uh, I look forward to 10 more episodes of KEW. This has been episode 90, Improvisation, Yin Yang, and The Grateful Dead. I'm Chris Bircher, and I'll see you next week. Take it easy.